0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of F1 Radio and it's a big one, it's our F1 2017 season review. I'm Joshua Suttel but I'm not alone because I'm joined by the brilliant Tom Fenton.
1: Hello guys, how you doing? Hope we're all having a good Christmas, holiday, festive season and uh, yeah, I hope you look forward to the episode forthcoming. So let's crack on then straight
0: away with the season review, and we're going to be going team by team, going through all of the teams in the Constructors' Championship, and then we're going to be doing some driver rankings at the end of the show, so we'll be rating and ranking every single driver Uh, or at least the full-time ones, anyway, of the 2017 season. You guys can leave your thoughts and opinions down in the comment section below, of course, or tweet us at underscore F1 Radio. You can kind of tweet us your driver of the season, your moments of the season, your race of the season, perhaps. Just any thoughts or opinions are very much welcome. But uh, let's crack on then, Tom, straight away, with, of course, I think the biggest story of the season, and that was Lewis Hamilton versus Sebastian Vettel.
1: Yeah, I think, obviously, finally we are having a challenge to the Mercedes team, in the modern era of F1 and it's great to see two fantastic drivers in Hamilton and uh, Sebastian Vettel fighting it out for the title in two different cars powered by two different engines and um, ultimately, you know, we didn't have the final showdown we wanted but it was a very close race between the two throughout the season and we had many uh, interruptions between each other and collisions and uh, obviously Baku was quite a standout point in the season, but so was uh, Singapore where you know Ferrari arguably lost the title uh, or at least lost their challenge towards the title and um, we've obviously got Hamilton who has had probably his best season in Formula One definitely in my eyes and is arguably the worthy champion throughout the uh, 20 drivers on the grid.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously both, you know, Hamilton and Vettel would have been worthy champions, but I feel like Hamilton, you know, was the class of the field this year. And I think, you know, Mercedes as well really kind of pulled it together. They had a, a difficult first half of the year, certainly compared to what they've kind of, the dominance they've enjoyed over the last few years. But they really kind of pulled it together. They really showed their class. Um, with real pressure from you know from outside um, of course past three years have only had pressure really from the inside so it was nice to see them being pushed because they really delivered when it mattered and of course Ferrari did not they pretty much imploded after Singapore you know a string of three consecutive races and weekends just marred with so many issues only 12 points for Vettel in three races between Singapore and Japan and, you know, Tom, if we're looking at the season as a whole, you know, where do you pinpoint the moment when Ferrari and Vettel lost that shot at the Drivers' Championship? When do you think that really the tide had turned and really the fate and
1: the kind of the championship was out of their hands? I think most people would agree that although Baku was, you know, an incident, uh, Ferrari came away from that race uh, having gained points in the championship. So that wasn't the the issue. I think. It was clearly, as everybody else probably were uh, predicting, it is Singapore where you know Vettel really did kill his title. And I remember watching that moment and you just get that feeling where you're like, okay, this is a serious moment. And I know every race is a serious moment. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's the first Grand Prix in Melbourne or whether it's in Abu Dhabi. Uh, 10 points is 10 points or 25 points is 25 points. So uh, it doesn't matter. But really that Singapore collision where three of the top drivers uh, in that race were basically taken out and that allowed Hamilton to, you know, effectively get 25 points when he should have got, you know, maybe 12, maybe 10. So that helped a lot and then obviously the knock-on effect you have in the modern age of F1 of engine penalties or grid penalties and uh, ultimately that meant Malaysia was uh, a damage limitation race again and Hamilton there was able to steal more points off Vettel, and I think he took the lead in the championship at that stage Uh, but then, obviously, the nail in the coffin was in Japan, where whatever happened to that spark plug in that engine, who knows Uh, but it wasn't good enough, and he was getting mugged down the straights, and we all thought Verstappen was such a great overtaker, which he is but uh, little did we know that Vettel actually had an issue came into the pits after a couple of laps and I think that was game over to, for me, at least, Josh. But uh, do you think maybe there's any other moments where maybe Ferrari could have done themselves a lot better?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, we kind of naturally gravitate towards, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Japan as the kind of where, you know, Ferrari and Vettel imploded and, and many people, you know, will say, well, if Vettel didn't have the reliability issues in Malaysia and Japan, then he would have been, you know, right in there and could have won the championship, but, you know, there are kind of little things throughout the season, really, which you can pick up on, um, which did kind of cost Vettel and, you know, was not really the team's fault. You know, we take, what, Canada, for example, of course, into the first corner, uh, taking, mm-hmm. a, you know, a bit of a too much risk there, and then finishing fourth and dropping quite a few points to Hamilton. Then you look at something that Ferrari did, for example, in Silverstone, massive points were lost there, um, you know, for just not putting Vettel and Raikkonen, and you know pitting them for safety and then they obviously got a puncture then because they didn't do that um and you know Vettel finished in a a lowly seventh so that really was not a good couple of races for Vettel and Ferrari but you know they did pick it up after that and into the second half of the season they still had a really good chance of winning but ultimately you know those three races of course you know did cost them and while these little things before uh, we can point to, you know, like Tom said, really, Singapore and Malaysia. Those were the two big ones, really. I think by the end of Malaysia, it was really done. Japan, you know, pretty much confirmed that. And, you know, America as well was just embarrassing for Ferrari because, you know, Vettel uh, did a brilliant job to get the jump into the lead but then was just passed before the breaking zone um, by Hamilton for the lead. So that that was real kind of a, uh, the, uh, the kind of peak of the embarrassment for them. You know, one in Brazil, but really it's pretty inconsequen- inconsequential. Um, And, you know, this is what Ferrari really should be doing every year in terms of this championship push. And although, you know, they have made a massive step forward, obviously compared to 2016 and previous years, this is really what they should be doing every year, you know, judging by their kind of history, their resources, and having Sebastian Vettel as their lead driver as well. They should really be delivering this high-level performance every single year. But uh, it's taken them this long, really. And, Tom, probably their best season um, since 2008 in terms of where their car was at, I think. Although Alonso got a lot closer to the championship in 2010 and 2012, I don't think the car was really there. But, Tom, this year, it probably was.
1: Yeah, I think if we take the season into two halves, I think the first half Ferrari definitely had the better car. Maybe not every race it was the fastest, but it was definitely more stable. I remember, you know, it's very difficult to to tell by just watching the screens or uh, reading what the drivers say but it looked as if that Mercedes was very difficult to set up for the circuits and it looked like it was more unstable than the Ferrari and in my experience more stable a car is the more confident you are to push it and when these cars are so closely matched in terms of pace having the more stable car will probably deliver the faster package throughout the race and we saw that you know you look at Vettel's results in the first 5-6 races uh, it's amazing that's championship material then you know um the second half of the season mercedes obviously fixed their issues or they understood their beast a lot better and you know you see what hamilton did from belgium to sort of you know america when he won the championship and well he obviously won it in mexico but the deal was already done and he won five races and you know a second place and that's championship material as well so it was a season of two halves ferrari did very well and like you said, they really should be every season fighting for the title at this sort of level and not like in 2012, where basically Alonso did a lot of the, the work to make his car into a situation where it could have won. But um, realistically, he shouldn't have got anywhere near Vettel in 2012 and Red Bull. But yeah, I think obviously, you know, this bows well for next season. And uh, we'll quickly mention next season towards the end of this episode. But I think we should also you know really focus and pay attention or play you know applause to Hamilton and Mercedes for really delivering you know against the odds in some ways I mean at the start of the season I was thinking you know maybe it isn't their year especially with you know a new driver in Bottas who's very good but unproven at this level. Uh, Ferrari had you know the more stable car they had two you know clearly experienced drivers and it was going well at the beginning of the year but Hamilton and Mercedes—they did the hard graft. They, they got what they needed to do, and I think Hamilton especially has driven, you know, one of the best seasons I've ever seen uh, from a driver. And I'm not a Hamilton fan, so that's you know means something. And he just—he did a lot of things that I think great drivers do, and he did, or he didn't do a lot of stuff that he usually does in in my eyes, where he makes very silly mistakes sometimes. Um, and he didn't do that this season. Okay, maybe Mexico wasn't a great race, but he had already done the hard work, and that's one one time. But throughout this season, he was consistently there, and uh, he definitely deserves all the credit that he's getting. And uh, that's why he's a four-time world champion.
0: Yeah, and of course, now equal with Vettel on uh, championships. I think that's a really exciting prospect to go into mm-hmm. 2018 with Hamilton and Vettel both on four championships both looking for that 5th championship, and I think that's going to be a narrative, but we've seen this kind of start of this year, it's been a long time coming, this kind of rivalry, but now we've kind of got it, I think we're going to get it again in 2018, and it's, I think, going to be a lot, lot closer, um, but like you say, I mean, this was easily, I think, in my opinion, Hamilton's greatest season in F1 so far, um, he was just such a far cry, like you say, from, you know, his kind of 2011 self, 2012 self, where, you know, he'd kind of throw the toys out the crown we would make silly errors, or he'd crack under pressure, And in fact, we saw that a lot more from Vettel, Um, you know, in places, of course, like Baku was the most obvious one, where Tom, you know, maybe his emotions uh, just kind of got the better of him. And it seems that, you know, he doesn't, he seemed to crack under the pressure, even though, of course, during the Red Bull years, you know, we kind of saw that he, he held that together, you know, really, really well. Um, but Red Bull I guess were kind of more around him and more kind of knew how to deal with him but maybe the kind of Ferrari environment maybe doesn't suit him as much or just something's a little different maybe.
1: Yeah I, I know exactly where you're coming from you think well I thought at the beginning of this season I would say Hamilton's the type of guy who would not crack under the pressure but make the silly mistakes but it was actually Vettel this year who did the silly things he you know, really did lose the championship in certain situations, or at least lose the opportunity to win it. And uh, Hamilton didn't at all, and he took, you know, pretty much every opportunity he could have and maximised what he did. Obviously, in Hungary, he gave uh, the third place to to Bottas, but, you know, that's one situation there, a couple of points difference. Uh, Everywhere else, he did what he had to do. And, yeah, maybe, you know, I, I would think... Before the start of this season or 2017, that you know, Vettel is the more consistent driver, but maybe my opinion's changed. I think Hamilton has maybe matured in a more positive way, and maybe Vettel is maybe, like you said, cracking under pressure. But I think it could be just due to the fact that this is the first time in three or four years that Vettel's had a chance to win the championship, and uh, he knows that the Mercedes was a, a very difficult challenge to overcome, so maybe he couldn't control that. Whereas during the Red Bull days it was pretty much guaranteed he was going to win that title and uh, he didn't really have a threat so I think that could maybe explain the situation and as we know Hamilton before has had uh, an inter-team battle between uh, himself in the McLaren and Ferrari you know in two seasons so he knows what it's like to fight another team whereas Vettel doesn't really know that so maybe that could explain the situation.
0: Yeah, and the kind of team around them as well, you know, you look at yeah, you look at true. Vettel, right, and this kind of toxic Ferrari environment, which I think they're kind of in at the moment, even though they're suddenly kind of doing really well now, you still get the sense that there's this kind of, you know, nasty kind of blame culture that's kind of going on, that this is all kind of like covering your back and kind of, you know, uh, cloak and dagger and that, and all this kind of, you know, uh, shifting the blame onto other people and kind of being a bit trigger-happy with firing people and that. Um, so, and when you kind of compare that to Hamilton where he's probably more comfortable than ever um, he's way more comfortable this year within Mercedes than he was last year Rosberg's gone now, Bottas has come in Bottas is not really a consistent threat to Hamilton and even when he is, they have such a good relationship which really, their rivalry has not gone toxic, Hamilton has more often than not been ahead of Bottas even let him through in Hungary um, to kind of show that great relationship he would have never have done that to Rosberg um, so that kind of great teamwork really worked for them all season uh, Tom speaking of Bottas just a quick word on this kind of uh, title protagonist uh, supporting acts of course Valtteri Bottas and Kimi Raikkonen and the teammates of those two guys who were going for the championship how did you rate Bottas' first season for Mercedes and what Raikkonen's kind of fourth year with Ferrari in his uh, second stint with the team
1: well they may both be fins but I think you know they're heading in different directions in their career obviously bodas you know here this is his first chance in a championship winning car you know uh, the leading team in formula one he's finally got the step that many people feel like he's deserved up the field promoted and um i think it's very difficult to judge how well he was gonna do um some people just hop in a new car like we saw throughout uh, not throughout the season but like we saw during i can't remember what race but when science hopped into the Renault, he was right on the pace and it was almost as if he'd been driving that car all season. Uh, but other people take time and, you know, the culture, like you mentioned before, being in Williams is probably a very different uh, atmosphere than being in Mercedes. Um, there are a team out there who go out and expect to win every race. Williams do not. So there's a different pressure, there's a different vibe. And especially when you're going up against Hamilton, who many people will say is one of the best drivers on the grid. It's a, a lot different to going against Massa, who is a great driver, but maybe doesn't have that recognition. So I was expecting him to do well. I never thought he was going to win the championship. And I think overall, if you look at you know how he ended the season, and he had a, a few good moments in the season, three wins, a few podiums. He did what he had to do, and from Mercedes' point of view, that is what you need from a second driver. You know, if they're not going to have... Uh, you know, like they had with the previous three or four seasons with Hamilton and Rosberg, where they're going to have two top drivers or at least two drivers who can compete with each other every weekend then this is ideal, Bottas is an ideal fit, but I think Bottas will mature next season and he will pose more of a threat, but it's you know, based on this season, if he's got a lot more improving to do and he can't have a lot of these, you know, four-fifth places that he has had through the season and then, like you said with Kimi Raikkonen you know it's clear that the guy has lost what he had he does have it but not on a consistent basis you know we saw in Melbourne not Melbourne Monaco where he got the pole position and he should have had the race win but he didn't but we've seen throughout the season he has got that pace it's just not consistently there and I think for a team like Ferrari who need a solid third drive uh, second driver I don't think he fits that bill anymore but maybe next year I mean, we say this every year, maybe next <laughs> year Kimi Raikkonen is going to turn up and really care, but I don't know. if He'll turn up I and love... go
0: at the end of the season. I yeah. think that's our biggest hope right now for Kimi, it's just kind of a matter of, you
1: know, when's he going to go. Listen, I love Kimi, he's a great guy and honestly, one of the fastest drivers I've ever seen in an F1 car. That's just my personal opinion. Um But it is time, isn't it? We need somebody else to get in that car. Whoever it is, I don't care, really. You know, maybe give Verstappen, give Ricardo or give um, Leclerc, whoever, I don't care. Just give somebody else a go. (laughs) And uh, Kimi Räikkönen will be sorely missed. And uh, he's he's had his time. That's fair enough.
0: Yes, that's for sure. I mean, you can't really say he didn't have a chance to win this year as well. He's had quite a few. Um, Obviously, like you say, the Monaco... You know, race was a prime example of that. I mean, people say kind of team orders, but at the end of the day, you know, if he had the pace on that day, he'd have won because it's, you know, so hard to pass at Monaco. And I I wouldn't, you know, if he'd kind of been able to keep a good gap to Bethel, then, you know, I'm not sure the switch would have been made. Um, Anyway, let's move on from those guys. Of course, uh, third in the championship for Bottas and fourth for Raikkonen, three wins for Bottas. And, of course, as you mentioned, Raikkonen failing to get that win at a pair of second places were his best results of the season. Um, Fifth and sixth of the championship were Danny Ricciardo and Max Verstappen. Um, Red Bull, you know, coming into the season with these new aero-heavy regulation changes, Uh, they were pretty much expected to be the main threat to Mercedes. But, Tom, didn't turn out that way.
1: No, it didn't. I think, obviously, you know, Renault caused a lot of their problems early on. And, to be fair, towards the end of the season, they didn't really have a spell where they got that, you know, clear run with their their power units, obviously Verstappen uh, had a lot of the issues in the first half of the season, and then Ricardo, you know, he only finished one of the last four races, so that's not really good going into the uh, next year of F1, the fifth season, I believe, of, you know, these power units, so hopefully Renault have got a lot of fixes, I have a lot of hope in that, but uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Aero, and Red Bull are meant to be the best team when it comes to aero. Maybe they are because looking at their pace and they achieved three wins this year. One of them probably not deserved, but the other two, they were ahead. They really had no threat. And considering their deficit, well, you know, maybe they did have the best car this year. Maybe they did, but <laughs> I think at the doesn't... end of the
0: season, possibly. Yeah, without not... the engine. I think definitely they, they were both. Renault and Red Bull were both kind of you know. Uh, had a bit of blame at the start of the year. I think the chassis improved a lot and was probably towards the, you know, top end. I could be the best, but like you say, you know, the engine development really wasn't there, was it? In, t- in terms of pace and reliability.
1: Yeah, you think um, that it would just be pace now, or, or y- y- just a few tenths here, or a few miles an hour, whatever, but look how many dnfs there were throughout the season if if anybody's curious you know go and check out the standings and you'll see that they must have combined had at 13. least 10 retirements yeah. yeah There you go that's a lot that's ridiculous you know and that's not great when you're trying to even if you've got the best car you're not going to win the championship with that many retirements it's almost as if every race they had a retirement in one of the cars and you're never going to win the championship when that happens
0: Talking of poor reliability, um, I think you all know who we're going to mention. Uh, McLaren-Honda, the third and final year of their renewed partnership, which began with hopes of Senna and Prost, but turned out more like Inouye and Sato. Um, Tom, I mean, you know, we've followed, we've followed this journey from the start. I know we made a video in the start of 2015, I think, discussing this dream. I think mm. everyone bought into the dream. Everyone wanted to believe the dream. But this dream, you know, turned into a nightmare and it ended in a pretty horrible way this year. Uh, but, I mean, what, let's talk about, are there any positives from this year for, for Alonso and Van Dorn and the whole team?
1: I think, you know, being a massive McLaren and Honda fan, I love both of the, of the companies. It's a shame that this never really worked out. And especially, you know, towards the end of this season, the car looked pretty good reliability didn't look too bad the pace you know yeah the straights weren't great it wasn't great down the straights but man it was it was okay it wasn't too bad and it's just such a shame that it never worked out and I believe what Ron Dennis said is true you need to be the works team to win and now they're no longer a works team but as you were asking me about the advantages and disadvantages or any positives that the drivers can take, I think it's that 2017 is over and <laughs> next year they're going to have a power unit that, okay, maybe it still breaks down, but at least it's got some power and they can actually mount some sort of challenge and take the encouragement from Red Bull's results. Okay, maybe Red Bull aren't in contention with the championship in 20 or weren't in contention for the championship in 2017 but they had many opportunities to win races and be on the podium which they did so McLaren can look forward to that but you look at the results through the season and what there's a few fifth sixth places for for uh, the McLaren team really nothing to to shout home about especially for a driver like Alonso right and Van Dorn, obviously trying to start his career he didn't Really go too well at the beginning, but he became p- competitive towards the end.
0: Yeah, he definitely one of the most improved drivers of the season. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's not an easy rookie situation uh, to be in. You know, both with obviously the car and the power unit problems, but also having Fernando Alonso as a teammate in your rookie year is not not so easy. So I think Van Dorn did a great job uh, in the second half of the year. Really, he was kind of you know beating Alonso at various events. You know, fell back at, at certain rounds and that, but I think plenty of positives. For a personal standpoint for him going into next year and as he mentioned as well I think some good enthusiasm for the team going into 2018 with you know a Renault power unit it's not you know ideal situation but I think like you say it should at least put them in the fight for podiums we would say at an absolute minimum but of course they're going to want wanting to race wins uh, that remains to be seen and I think I'm going to be keeping my expectations low after these uh, past three years um, but also, you know, seeing Alonso at the Indy 500 as well, one of the biggest stories of 2017, that was great, and I think this all kind of, you know, Zach Brown uh, atmosphere, and this all kind of, you know, uh, they they stole a lot of the headlines this year, unfortunately not always for the right reasons, but they were in the news an awful lot this year, um, and there did seem to be, you know, some just great Alonso moments as well, in terms of, you know, team radio and quotes coming out from him, so, there were still some really good off-track moments, there were great, you know, Indy 500 run, as I mentioned for Alonso. so, a fair bit of optimism for 2018, and I think everyone's just glad that this partnership is uh, is over. I think for everyone concerned, it's probably the best thing. Uh, I think there was really no going back, and a bit of a new era for McLaren as well. You know, not only with Renault, but finally kind of uh, letting go of Ron Dennis. So we'll see how long that one lasts, but I think it should be for good now. Um, but we'll have to see. Um, Ostensibly, McLaren were expecting to be probably at least fourth in the constructors this year, but uh, that position went to Force India. Uh, a fantastic year for them, 187 points, uh, over double 5th place Williams, of course who have the same engine, have more money uh, and have Leaper Massa as well um, but for India with Sergio Perez and Esteban knock on. Tom, team of the season?
1: I think so, I mean you look at their results, there's only one race where they fail to score a point, and I don't, th- I don't think you can say that about many teams in Formula 1, uh, through many of the seasons, so Okay, it's not podiums. Okay, it's not wins, but hey, consistency, fourth, fifth, sixth places is is great to have, and that's what makes a team like Force India, who has a huge uh, deficit in terms of budget, um, be competitive. If you can get a consistent result, and I know you need a fast car, right? But they have a fast car, and it's about playing towards your strengths. You know, they know they've got the power unit. They know that's good. They can rely on that. They haven't got the best car. They know they don't need the best car. But they've got two very good drivers in Ocon and and Perez, who, especially uh, Perez, uh, who, you know, had his chance at a big team. So clearly he has the pace. And Ocon, who Mercedes have their eye on. So we know these are two established drivers who... I've got futures in F1. Maybe Perez had his chance, but he's still, you know, he's going to be around. There's no question about it. If if I was looking for a driver, Perez would be on the list. Same with Ocon. And, you know, I just I don't understand how a team like this with the budget they have can achieve the results pound for pound. You know, it's that's a very famous uh, phrase in boxing, and it doesn't really mean a lot in boxing. But in F1, you can really say pound for pound. Force India are by far the best team. I mean, I think, you know, that not only that, but their two drivers, Josh, I mean, they were so closely closely matched throughout the season, it's almost as if they were attached to together by Superglue or something, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean, they still scored points when they collided, <laughs> in, in both true. Baku and, and Spa, they still managed to pick up the points, they're so just ultra-consistency, I think Prez, you know, we talked on the podcast before, was a little rattled by Ocon, but really that just drove the whole team forward, and... You know, finally the imposed team orders, that proved to be the right choice, I think, in the end, you know, the best thing for the team. The drivers, I don't think, like each other at all, really, but they seem to have kind of found a kind of uh, a balance or a kind of settlement, at least, uh, I think the tensions are still going to be there next year because I think Perez is going to be under a lot of pressure. Um, Ocon, like you say, you know, Mercedes have their eye on him and he's very much a kind of candidate for, for a Mercedes seat even in 2019. So if he has a really good year, you know, we could see him at Mercedes. But if then Perez manages to kind of get onto another level and beat Ocon next year, then obviously, you know, he'll be looking for the top drive. So uh, it's certainly, like you say, a great year for both Perez and Ocon. Uh, not such a good year, though, for Williams. Uh, just a little kind of meandering, and you know, Felipe Massa, land Stroll uh, took him to fifth place. I mean, that podium of Baku, it's on probably the uh, the only highlight.
1: Yeah, I think if you compare their two seasons, Massa uh, was consistent, the point scorer, the better driver probably throughout the season. But Ocon had them few moments that stroll. really stand sorry. out. Oh, yeah, Stroll, sorry, sorry. Okay. The Canadian had a few moments that really did stand out. Uh, arguably, the podium. And also in uh, Italy, where he qualified second on the grid. Impressive, you know, stuff. And that bodes well for his future. But, obviously, Massa, his last season in F1, he had the retirement that maybe he didn't deserve being, you know, so close to a title. And it would have been nice to see him maybe win a race. I think um, Williams do regret Baku not being able to give him that chance. But, hey, Massa's a great guy. He's had his chances in F1 nobody's going to say he's not a worthy driver and um, he did himself very proud to come out of retirement effectively because I know it's very easy to say well he didn't retire but if you you know I'm not going to get too much into the psychology here but if you're on a certain mindset and that's and you suddenly have to change that it's easier said than done it really is and he was going uh, into 2016 Christmas time 2016 he was like I'm retired I'm ready to move on and it's not that you lose the skill but you just lose that emotion and that sort of attachment to something and to come back, get in the car you know, the first race, 6th place, I mean amazing especially in the Williams which wasn't that in that position throughout any stage of the season, it was not uh, the 4th or 5th best car throughout the season, I mean obviously they finished 5th right, but it wasn't really the 5th best car, I think Renault definitely had a, have an argument to make for that um, but he did what he had to do and Yeah, it's. I think Josh, you know, I think you should, you know, you can probably make more comments on this than me. But when you look at the team Williams are, they have a great heritage, right? They have a bit of money behind them, and they have the Mercedes engine. But yet, it's been four seasons with these new regulations, and they just haven't made the strides they should have. They really should be up there with Mercedes, shouldn't they?
0: At least with Force India, you know, at a minimum, I can kind of see, you know, why they're maybe not quite up there with Mercedes, but. You know, I can't really see why they're not up there with Force India. And I think I put on, you know, (laughs) as I said on Twitter, this is like the most undeserving fifth place possible because, you know, it feels like they have like the fourth quickest car. But just the amount of mistakes they've made this year, the amount of meandering they've done, the amount of kind of lack of direction or kind of basic issues or just poor driving performances, and they've still managed to finish fifth. Um, still managed to beat, you know, Renault, Torosso, Haas, McLaren, Sauber. That's kind of a, a little beyond me, but yeah. Uh, just kind of a, a, yeah a really really bad year for them I think they're going to take a lot more pain next year because you know obviously Masters out of the team Stroll possibly Sorokin in the second car or Kavica. Uh, you know either way I think they're really going to struggle next year Paddy Lowe mm-hmm. will hopefully have a bit more influence but with Renault and McLaren getting their act together with Torosso a bit of a wild card with that Honda engine with Sauber and Alfa Romeo you know Williams face a difficult battle really to stay off the back of the grid potentially um, so you know a difficult 2018 in prospect it's really going to be a real litmus test for them next year mm. and in terms of the drivers this year you know I think Stroll's best moments were better than Massa's best moments but unfortunately obviously for Stroll those moments were, were kind of few and far between few and far between. Uh, but to finish three points behind Massa, I think, is a good effort for his rookie year. Obviously, he's slightly skewed by Mbaku and obviously Massa, you know, arguably should have had that podium or possibly even won the race. Uh, but overall, a good rookie year for Stroll, and a good send-off for Massa, you know. He uh, usually starts the season strongly and tails off, but he started the season, st- season strongly, tailed off, but then picked it back up again and got a nice seventh place in Brazil. So, uh, yeah, farewell for Massa. Uh, he's definitely going to be missed.
1: Yep, definitely. And uh, so the next team on the list, I believe, is Haas, right? Or Renault. Renault. It's definitely Renault. <laughs> they finished sixth. They stole the sixth place from Toro Rosso yes. in Abu Dhabi. Controversy. So, yeah, definitely controversy, considering all the engine talks mm. and... Uh, it took the who car knows. Yeah, but, you know. Who knows what happened? But, yeah. uh, but hey, Renault, they did what they had to do. Their target was to finish in the top six, I believe, at the beginning of the year. And they did that. So... They look like a team who are, on the, who are on the up, and you could say maybe next year, but definitely 2019, 2020, they look like a team who are going to be fighting for the championship.
0: They really do. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I'm liking that enthusiasm. I'm sure Cyril will beat forward too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a good year for, for Renault. It's kind of hard to judge them, really. They've got quite a lot of kind of high point-scoring finishes, and then quite a lot of non-point-scoring finishes as well. Uh, qualifying <laughs> was always you know, really good. Uh, for Hulkenberg, obviously uh, You know, uh, he had an average of 9.55 um, Thank you to F1 fanatic for that statistic um, And he always seemed to be kind of up there In qualifying and then fade away in the race um, But I feel like Renault made progress over the year I think it was a bit of a weird one really They kind of were the fourth quickest car At certain tracks and then You know, completely nowhere at others Like Monza uh, and Malaysia They were kind of two awful weekends I remember for them um, but the, you know they had signs in the car as well. The one's Palmer was out. That was nice. And I think, like you say, there's just a lot of optimism really for them. I think they may be underachieved a little this year. I think they should have been fifth, but they'll take sixth. They've got signs for a year. Uh, they have got Hulkenberg, who I think has been fantastic. Uh, he's given the team a real direction. Has really led that team. I think he was owed a big result this year. You know he should have possibly got a podium in Singapore or at the very least a top five um, because they didn't even get a top five all year, which I think you know they, they deserve. Um, but yeah, optimism, I think, Tom, is the uh, my kind of phrase for Renault at the moment, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, there is a, a trend in a lot of sports and things where if the curve is going upwards, it will continue to go upwards. It doesn't just drop off. So it, I highly doubt that Renault are going to find themselves in a lower position next year than they currently are right now. And like you mentioned, they've got arguably one of the best driver lineups out there especially for sort of prospects and the future Carlos Sainz you know what a great driver he is and Hulkenberg he's got years left in him as well and he's never really had that opportunity at a huge team but maybe Renault is that huge team that he really has the opportunity to have and like you said he led the team these two are going to push each other next year and I think Renault really shot themselves in the foot by Giving Palmer uh, too much of of a chance to prove himself, we know obviously last season in his rookie year, the first half was pretty embarrassing, but he made up that position and he earned his seat in the second half of the year. So fair enough. In twenty sixteen, he probably deserved the, the second shot in the Renault. But you know, even by his own accounts, he admits he doesn't deserve to be in F one anymore, and he he doesn't. He only finished one one position in the points, so a sixth place. Fair enough. Very good. But remember his teammate was ahead of him in Singapore and again he never really had a moment where he beat Hulkenberg and you've got to sort of be competitive with your teammate at least you don't have to beat them all the time but you have to be there and I think if Renault would have had somebody like Sainz from the beginning then I think Force India would have had to worry about their fourth position to be honest Um, maybe not so much but they would have been ahead of Williams no question.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like you say, a really good lineup. and I think that fight's going to be mega next year. You know, mm-hmm. Force India, Renault, McLaren. Um, theoretically, you know, Renault, McLaren should win that one. But, you know, Force India time and time again just defy all odds, really. And uh, I think they're going to... I've made this prediction before, I think, but they're going to beat one of either Renault or McLaren next year. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a mouth watering fight between those three. And we should just overall kind of see a lot closer... Um, between the kind of top three teams and the, the kind of rest of the field, one thing that you know I haven't liked so much this year is that kind of big gap. But also, one thing that I have liked is this mega kind of you know midfield fight which we've had. It's been it's been really great to see, basically just a different team or driver just being the kind of fourth quest car every single round pretty much, that's been really really nice, uh, occasionally it was Toro Rosso but uh, not so much they seem to have had a bit of kind of an opposite season to Renault, they kind of started off pretty well, they had a, a decent car, you know Signs was really hauling that Renault up into probably where, uh, Renault, that Toro Rosso into, into where it didn't, you know shouldn't have been uh, but he had I think a really really good year uh, and then it all kind of fell apart for Toro Rosso when Sines left, you know they had Hartley and Gasly in and they were kind of you know, up against it, Fiat then came back, and Gasly went to Japan for the super Formula finale, which was then cancelled because of a typhoon. It was just a bit of a mess, wasn't it? I think you know, if I if I describe Renault as kind of optimism, I think Toro Rosso unfortunately has to be you know a mess.
1: Yeah, Toro Rosso may have had the the sexiest livery on the grid, but it doesn't mean anything. And um, clearly, the pace of their car it was okay, but it wasn't really there. Uh, especially towards the end of the season and like you say, you know, this is where people don't realise in F1 that every driver is good in F1 there's no question about it, you've got to be good to get there, even if you're a paid driver, or a pay to drive uh, driver, but it just proves how much that team was not built but it was sort of relying on science to be there, because as soon as he went, it sort of crumbled, it really did and I know even while Sainz was there, they still failed to score points in, in a lot of races, but he was that sort of foundation of the team, and he left, and no wonder why Toro Rosso and Red Bull, more importantly, didn't want to sort of get rid of him uh, and lose that attachment, H- hence why, you know, basically Red Bull still have have uh, Science under contract. They're just leasing him out uh, to Renault. So, yeah, it's good to see that Sainz is getting the opportunity, but for Toro Rosso, it really has affected them, and I think next year they've got quite you know, a weak lineup. I mean, I think Gasly has great potential, but Hartley really didn't impress, and I know he comes from a completely different category, and he's going to have a lot of time to uh, improve his performance, and obviously, when you join uh, F1 through uh, in the middle of the season, everybody else on the grid is used to the cards, they're ready, they know the rigmarole, they're ready to go, and you're starting out fresh, you're not going to look great, but, you know, they were way off, and hopefully the honda engine is good i don't know if it will be that one before exactly i've said it every year and um it hasn't so far but i really do hope that honda engine is there for them and it's going to be their their life or it's going to be their death i honestly think if honda have a fantastic engine next year then toro rosso could be a huge threat
0: well, I think if they have a really good one, uh, Red Bull will be kind of wheeling and dealing and getting out of that Renault contract yep. mid-season or something, or, or at least for 2019. I mean, that's already the rumour of their part in company. So, you know, Red Bull have a lot riding on this. Don't kind of write off Honda as kind of, well, they're just with Toro it doesn't really matter. You know, this is basically, uh, you know, for Red Bull for the future. So
1: Definitely, uh, this is um, this is the thing people really don't understand. It's, it's like you mentioned, I think Renault want to cut ties with Red Bull and... Uh, it, a lot is relying on Honda delivering. Honda are a huge team, a huge company, and there's a reason why Rosso want them. It's because Red Bull potentially want to be the sole supplier. Um, so we have to hope for Hondas and Red Bull's sake that they're going to have a good year. And uh, obviously that will make Red Bull's decision uh, in 2019 for an engine much more simpler, but uh, I don't know. You know. Do we really see Honda fixing these issues? I think they've got a lot of catching up to do. I hope so, because obviously if they don't, they're
0: just going to have to throw in the towel, I think, you know, after, Yeah. after all this. Which would be such a shame, because so much money's gone into it. But we saw progression, right, at the at the end of this year. I mean, like obviously we said, we've seen this before, but I do have a fair bit of optimism for 2018. Uh, expectations, I think, a lot lower, though, with Toro Rosso. They can, they can afford to kind of hide for various weekends, like they couldn't with McLaren. They were always going to be headline news. With Toro Rosso, they can have a few off weekends, and it's not really going to matter, so... We'll see where the development of the Honda engine goes. They did finish the season really strongly in terms of reliability as well, which I thought was really encouraging. And I just hope for Gasly and Hartley's sake that they get a proper good go, good kind of proper rookie campaign with a reliable car, and they can really kind of uh, prove a lot of the doubters wrong, because, you know, I think there is, you know, valid reason to kind of criticise them or kind of, you know, be unsure about them just because, you know, we've seen so little of them. And they've had such a... A bad opportunity really because that Toros in the second half of the year was really not the place to be. Uh let's talk about Haas, Grosjean and Magnussen of course. Uh Magnussen coming in replacing Gutierrez. That meant that Haas actually had two cars in the points this year, which was very nice. Uh again, I think un, un- uh you know, locked potential really uh, at certain rounds, but most of the rounds, I don't think they really maximised what what was really there, you know, you got kind of various standout results through the year, but then again, a lot of really, really bad rounds, and you know, right from the start, really when Grosjean was on for that sixth place in, in Melbourne, and then, you know, uh, the, the car conked out, so you know, where do you really rank the second season in the sport, Tom?
1: It's good that you mentioned their second season because I remember in one of the F1 radio episodes that we were talk we were talking about Haas and I remember saying that you know they should be doing better than this and you brought up the fact that they are only in their second season and it's just because Haas have been you know there's obviously some sort of speculation about how much they are supported by Ferrari and whether that's the right way to go about racing um, but you know I see Haas as an established team in F1. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think I can say that about many new entrants into Formula 1 of recent years because they don't exist anymore. So, yeah, it's difficult to say. You see Haas and you think, okay, second year, eighth place, that's fine. They're ahead of McLaren, that's really good, but McLaren had a poor season. They're ahead of Sauber, okay, fair enough. But, you know, it's considering how well they did last year and the potential they have considering how quite established they are and the support they've had, you think they could have done better. Um, but obviously the car philosophy uh, philosophy has changed dramatically between their first season and their the next season but the third season, it's going to pretty much stay the same, you just have to add on an ugly halo and, you know, a few things. So, but ultimately the cars should be quite similar, so Haas have got some sort of basis to go into next season with and they haven't really underperformed this year but I don't know if it's been as good as last year. I, I I feel like it's gone downhill slightly considering they've had a better driver lineup. But hey, you know, what else can we expect from a team that's very new and their drivers are good drivers but they can be quite inconsistent in some situations especially, you know, Kevin Magnussen, but how would you rate them? I think it's very difficult for me to sort of say because it depends what you expect, isn't it? I expect a team like Haas who's have quite a lot of support and, you know, Haas is a big name in a lot of other motorsports to do maybe better than they've done, but maybe they have outperformed themselves already considering it's two seasons in.
0: I guess, certainly compared to obviously the new teams from 2010 that's done a lot better, but I guess, like you say, with the support from Ferrari, maybe they should be doing a lot better. Also, you know, obviously the new Sauber, Alfa Romeo deal, them turning down Giovinazzi and Leclerc, in terms of, you know, keeping Grosjean and Magnussen, I think it's quite a, quite a crucial one, really. They seem to be mm-hmm. kind of almost turning away a little bit from Ferrari in the way that Sauber, you know, now seem to be kind of Ferrari's new favourite customer team whereas, you know, kind of a year ago it seemed like Haas were kind of replaced Sauber in that role, it looks like Sauber were kind of turning away from Ferrari and they could be going to Honda, but now they've kind of uh, you know gone kind of full circle and now kind of back as the main kind of customer team, so that leaves Haas in a bit of a difficult situation and we'll see where they go going forward um but i think like you say i think a good solid job and a good second season in the sport for gene house's outfit and uh yeah good job to them and uh like you say inconsistencies from both drivers but uh i think flashes of speed probably just enough really for for both of them to be kept Uh, a bit of stability as well i guess going into next year which can't be too bad for the team McLaren, of course, nine in the constructors. We've talked about them. Sauber, of course, were tenth, five points. Uh, both or all of them from Verline. Good performances from him on those occasions. Uh, really, they were up against it from the start with a year-old engine. Um, I think that's pretty much all to say. Really, on Sauber, it was a pretty kind of dire year. But they did, I think, probably the best with what they could. Uh, at least they scored points. I guess is the only thing you can really say about Sauber this year. Uh, Giovinazzi, of course, in the start of the year, Verline had his various issues at the start of the year, treated a little, little unfairly, I think, but uh, once he got there, he got there and uh, got an eighth place in Spain, which wasn't too bad. Uh, but, Tom, I think it's time to move on to the uh, driver rankings.
1: Yeah, so we hope everybody's enjoyed the episode so far. Please give us some feedback. Uh, tweet us at underscore F1 Radio to let us know if you like the show, if you know, you're know you going to be watching in a year's time. Let us know how we can improve this for the 2018 review, and, um, you know, just hit us up with any questions you've got for 2018. We're going to have some episodes before 2018 officially kicks off in Melbourne towards the end of March, so please let us know. But yeah, uh, what we're going to do now is rank the drivers from uh, 20th to the best, so we're going to exclude these few drivers like Jensen Button and Giovinazzi, who, you know, stepped in for a few races... It's very difficult to see how well they've compared to, say, somebody like Alonso who's been there throughout the whole year. And the chances are they'll be at the bottom of the list anyway because we haven't seen enough. Uh, We were going to probably do something similar to this uh, or like this with the teams. But I think, to be honest, the championship standings is pretty much a good uh, resemblance of how the teams rate. So it's probably pointless to do that for the teams. But yeah, so me and Josh have collated and created a list of the 20 best drivers so uh, there are a few disagreements in there so there's going to be some spicy conversations to come and obviously let us know what your top uh, top 10 or top 5 drivers are throughout the season so obviously we're going to base this on performance alone it's difficult to compare with different cars so please bear with us but Josh why don't you kick off with number 20 who I think you know pretty much everybody including the guy himself would say he was the worst driver this year.
0: Yes, unfortunately, it is Joly and Palmer. Like you say, yep. he had a decent second half of the season 2016, but it did not go his way in 2017. I think the the statistics speak for themselves. I think everyone listening knows why is 20th, no explanation needed there. Um, 19th, we've put Danny Kiviat, uh, and then Ericsson is in 18th these two, possibly quite interchangeable. Both had a disappointing year. Ericsson of course, remaining for next year. Danica Viet at present. Uh, not got the Williams drive, but we'll have to see. Uh, really, all just kind of fell apart didn't it, for Danica Viet this year. Uh, Tom, I mean, well, you could say it fell apart really in early 2016 when he was dropped from Toro. So we didn't yeah. really see an improved Viet
1: this year. I think um, a lot of it is, I hate to go back on the psychology train, but it is confidence. It is the mental state. And for some people, when you push them down, that's it. They don't want to get back up, uh, or they can't get back up without a little support, and a team like Williams maybe could fix somebody like Kvyat, because I've been saying this for, you know, many seasons, that I don't want Kvyat in F1 anymore, but there's obviously a reason why Toros are keeping and and, and Red Bull keep him, because there's obviously some sort of uh, impressive data that he produces, and clearly if he can just fix a few issues, a bit like Pastor Maldonado, if anybody remembers him, you know... I rated him quite highly compared to what most people did. I appreciate he had a lot of issues, but I think if he fixed them issues, like we saw when he won his race in Spain, you know, he could have been a top quality driver. I think the same can be said of Kvyat. Uh, you know, It's a long stretch of, of an imagination there, but I do see some good in him, if you know what I'm saying, but he's had his chance, and I think he's had more than enough chance for, than people say, for example, like Verlein or Ericsson, who you know, really haven't ever been in a good car, and they're being disregarded um, just because their car's not so good. For example,
0: yeah, I mean, I think really Gasly should have been in from the start of the season. Um, yeah. He'd have had a proper winter's testing to kind of you know really learn the ropes, and I think he'd have performed a lot better than if he'd have kind of started right from the start. I think he'd have sc- could have scored you know a lot more than the five points, but. Danickiewicz amassed in, in his races for Toro Rosso this year. If Gasly had been given that proper preparation and proper kind of warning um, that he was going to be, uh, you know, making his F1 debut, so I think Toro Rosso definitely made an error on that one, or rather, Red Bull made an error on that one, and Toro Rosso, you know, paid the price. Uh, and of of Danny Kvyat as well, you know, a real knock to his confidence. They should have just cut ties, let him go, let him rebuild elsewhere, and then he could have returned to Formula 1 in a couple of years' time because I think there's so much potential with him. But like you say, the confidence thing was a real issue, and really it was just cruel to keep him on for another mm-hmm. year. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's 19th in our list, but as we mentioned, you know, I think easily could have put him just above Ericsson. Uh Those two, not a great year for either of them, but as we mentioned, Ericsson back next year, let's hope he gets a a better car to show what he can do, because really didn't show too much this year. If you kind of say, what was Ericsson's standout moment of the year, I would struggle to give you one. Um, uh, 17th rather, we put Kevin Magnussen 15th, uh, 16th 16th and 17th. We've got the two pass drivers, basically. Uh, I put Grosjean in front of Magnussen and we've put them both behind Lance Stroll, Tom, do you think that you could probably make an argument that the two house drivers maybe need to be above Stroll or not sure quite um, enough
1: I think when we're talking this low down the grid or down our rankings that standout moments are more important than consistency uh, especially when we're talking about a rookie driver and you know um, Grosjean or Magnussen really had no standout moments they were probably more consistent than w- the Williams driver uh, C- Canadian driver Stroll but Stroll had two very impressive moments where you could say, wow, this kid could be a future champion. Whereas I didn't see any of them sort of signs this year with Grosjean or Magnussen. So for me, that order is fine. But of course, this is all up to interpretation and it's what you like. Do you prefer the consistency or do you prefer them few standout moments?
0: Yeah, I think, like you say, just for this kind of far down the list and the kind of, uh, you know, kind of midfield fight, I feel, feel like that Stroll performance to get that podium of Baku was so crucial. It basically carried Williams for the rest of the season and made sure that yeah. they beat the likes of Renault and Haas uh, in the championship. So, you know, good, solid rookie season for Stroll. I think, as we mentioned, you know, the, the kind of high moments were fantastic in Baku and Monza the low moments were awful, like certain weekends, definitely. Uh, like Japan, you know he was he was really, really bad uh, not what you'd expect from a Formula 3 champion, but you know what you do expect is is those strong results in Bako Monza, so I think the groundwork is there for the future, but really it could go either way I think with Stroll for the future, you know, he could kind of develop into a, a future kind of, you know a real star of F1, or he could you know, just kind of not really show enough and, and the money could run out or or the kind of money could possibly go elsewhere. So we'll see with Stroll. Good solid rookie season. Grosjean and Magnussen, a little disappointing from them, but solid nonetheless, you know, uh, both tied yeah. together in the championship and they're next to each other on our rankings as well. In 14th place, uh, we've got Kimi Raikkonen, uh, quite far down, of course, for <laughs> a world champion, and maybe some people not very happy about that. Maybe some people think he should be in the top 10, but. For me, really, I don't see enough to warrant that from Kimi. You know, he's just made mistake after mistake. You know, so many mistakes week in, week out, or lack of pace. You know, obviously, it's hard to judge because he's always kind of up against it. But for me, he just didn't really see him in it this year. You know, even his qualifying performances as well, which were really, really good last year. You know, he out-qualified Vettel last year. But this year, he just couldn't really get anywhere near him. And then in the races, he was pretty poor. Uh, I mean, I do feel sorry for him in one regard, but you know the fact is, just like with Danny Civera, he just shouldn't have been in the car this year.
1: Yeah, I think um, obviously with this list, it's it's there is always that element of um, comparing uh, the drivers' performances versus or with the you know the car they're in. It's sort of like a Venn diagram, if you will. So of course, you know Kimi Raikkonen has finished a lot higher than a lot of the drivers on this list, but like you said. Uh, the potential and really what he should have been doing uh, was quite off the mark and he did have a few highlight moments but nothing nothing to write home about and somebody like Kimi Raikkonen who's you know he's won races he's won championship it doesn't matter where if you finish second it makes no difference it's a bad year and he's really just got to pick up his performances and he needs to be the Bottas of Ferrari that's what he really needs to do and he wasn't that and you know, even with Vettel having a few bad races um, in Singapore and Japan, if Kimi Räikkönen was doing a great job as a supporting driver, then Ferrari could have still won the Constructors, but they, they really didn't. And, uh, yeah, that's really all there is to say about Kimi Räikkönen. But we do hope he has a better year next year in some ways, but in other ways we hope he doesn't and, you know, somebody else can have a chance.
0: So just missing out then on a place in the top ten, uh, we've got Van Dorn in 11th, Matter 12th, Pascal Verlin in 13, unlucky for some. Um, but I think you know Verline I think doesn't really get the credit he deserves. He's been criticised an awful lot this year, right from the start with that kind of uh, you know mystery injury uh, that he had right at the start of the year. People saying it was a you know he was a wimp or whatever or kind of lacking effort or whatever. But really, it was a kind of serious injury which I think you know he needed to to sit out those opening two races. And he came back and you know and, and got points in his third. Uh, race back a real brilliant seventh place in Spain, which of course became eighth after the after the penalty was applied. Uh, mm. But yeah, I think a solid solid year for Verline, some good qualifying performances. Not quite enough ahead of Eriksson really to warrant a place in the top ten or to warrant a proper drive for next year. Uh, I think he, you know he should be on the grid next year, but unfortunately I don't think he quite showed enough. And unfortunately, you know, he kind of think he lost the faith of Mercedes, and I think that's what was important because when we talk about the Williams seat for next year it doesn't look like verland has got the backing for it and uh, that backing of course would come from Mercedes, if they really believed in him if they believed in him like they did for Ocon then I think he wish, he would have been in that Williams seat for next year, so Tom, how do you look back on uh, Villan's what could be his last year in F1?
1: Yeah, I think, um, like you said he hasn't done enough to sort of stand himself out against the only other driver he needs to compete with which was Ericsson, because Sauber really were the slowest team this year in pretty much every race so he couldn't i mean there were some there were some cases where he was clearly a lot faster uh, but most of the time it was very close and i think if you look at the chlor, uh qualifying delta uh it's really not a, lot in, uh, not a lot in it and there's even some people who say that ericsson's car is heavier which i don't know is true or not so you know don't quote me on that but he's heavier yeah he is a heavier driver, yes, so maybe so overall... The overall the car package, is, yeah. yeah. so maybe, you know, I think Ericsson maybe doesn't get the credit. He deserves either. But the thing with Ericsson is that he uh, doesn't look like he's ever going to win a championship, whereas Verline yes. looks like he might have that potential. But clearly, whatever it is with him or his pace or whatever, um, I think the biggest factor is what you mentioned, is that Mercedes have lost faith in him, and Ocon has leapfrogged him in the in the line and you know Mercedes don't really want anything to do with him and if Mercedes don't want anything to do with him or not in F1 anyway then I don't think a team like Williams are going to think hmm I'll sign him you know if, if if Mercedes are still backing him then he must be a great driver but they're not really interested I think Toto Wolff said himself that uh, Verlein needs to find a seat on his own which says it all um, so yeah his last season I think you know he maybe had his opportunity maybe he didn't but he didn't do enough at the end of the day, and that's, you know, what it is with F1, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think, like, so many of the drivers, his fate was kind of sealed at the start of the season, you know. When mm. F1 got that forced into driving, Verlaine didn't, his fate was sealed. When Fiat was kept on, his fate was sealed, and Raikkonen was kept on for another year. We all kind of knew what was going to happen. Um... Obviously, as I mentioned, Van Dorn and Massa were 11th and 12th. I think you can kind of you know, swap those two around. They can uh, kind of go either way, really. Both had kind of good solid years, plenty of highs, some lows, uh, but not quite that overall consistency to really warrant a, pl- a place in the top 10. I think, as we kind of mentioned before recording, there's a kind of, I think, distinct top 10 drivers of the season. And most lists I've kind of looked at have pretty much the same... Uh, drivers within their top 10 just in a lot of a lot of different orders you know really i think there's uh so much room really to move these drivers around but uh, this is what we've gone with then in terms of the lower half of the top 10 we've got Esteban Ocon in 6th we've got Hulkenberg in 7th Bottas in 8th Signs ninth, and Perez in 10th but as we mentioned really you can kind of uh, move a lot of these drivers around uh, in terms of you know the four India drivers, it almost feels wrong to have one in sixth and one in tenth because they were so close, uh, and I guess similar as well with, with Hulkenberg and Sainz. But Bottas as well, you know, in eighth place, and I guess some people Tom might say that maybe he deserves to be a little higher up, but uh, maybe just you know explain the thinking behind why we kind of put him a little lower down.
1: Yeah so before we recorded this obviously we went through the results of every driver and saw how they did throughout the season because that's that's the idea of a season review and uh, like we both said a lot of people are going to immediately think of the last three or four races that have happened in the year and then judge it on that and that's okay but it's not a you know a, a picture of the whole season is it it's not the full it's not the full package and as many of us can remember Bottas had a A dismal you know an embarrassing second half of the season or at least the start of it and that ultimately is what lost him the opportunity to even fight with Hamilton and definitely finish ahead of Edel which he could have done Uh, he was well off the pace he was nowhere Um, but he he, to his credit he he brought it back up towards the end of the year but that doesn't mean that that embarrassing period he had didn't exist anymore so we felt like that was a, a reasonable place to put him but Um, obviously like you said with Perez and Ocon both very close but I think in that case um, you look at Ocon and you see you know a great future and awesome potential whereas I guess unfortunately for Perez as much as this is wrong we always you know hop back to that McLaren year and we just think hmm I don't know but Perez is still a very great driver and it would be awesome to see him have another shot in a top team but I don't know if we see that
0: yeah I mean we just he didn't really manage to put Ocon beyond his reach quite enough really yeah. this year at the start of the season for sure but I think by the time they were colliding or clashing in Canada and Baku that's when we really saw this kind of overtaking or at least dr- Ocon drawing level with Perez and Perez couldn't quite handle that and really it's not too much to to you know Perez's kind of Uh, You know, we can't hold it against him really Because, you know, that's just Ocon's kind of natural talent coming through And like we say, we see Ocon more of a future champion probably than than what Perez is And Perez, you know, kind of tried his best and maximised really what he could for most of the year Apart from a a couple of collisions and Spa, of course, being the big kind of black mark against his name Um, But overall, a solid season for both of them But with Ocon, with it basically being his rookie year Uh, His first full year, at least, you know, it was a really exceptional performance. Perez, of course, uh, pretty much uh, a a seasoned midfielder now, Uh, but still a great year for him. I don't think it was quite as good as 2016, though. That's why I kind of mark him down a little bit. I felt like he took a little bit of a step back this year, Uh, maybe hurt a little bit by the kind of uh, switch to more kind of conservative tyres. He wasn't Mm. really able to kind of use that flair that he's been able to use with that kind of alternative tyre strategies with that opening up a lot more next year I think we could really see him coming back into a zone uh, and on is just going to go from strength to, strength to strength so I've just seen uh, and said all pretty much throughout this review Force India in a very good place for next year um, Renault as well we also said we're in a great place Holkenberg, he's done a great job hasn't he Tom uh, you know, a real mm. team leader for them he's really pushed them on uh, both in terms of development and in terms of the, uh, the championship position as well really hauling them up
1: yeah I think um what you know what a great drive obviously it's difficult to compare him or how well he did in the first half of the season but when Science got in the car you know it was clear that um he's a great driver and, and you know we all know how good Science is and I know it sounds really stupid to try and compare how good Hulkenberg is based on you know a much more inexperienced driver in Science. but uh, it's very difficult to judge isn't it when you've got Palmer as your teammate but yep like you said Hulkenberg did very well and uh a great lineup for next year, maximized a lot of the opportunities had, and obviously very unfortunate with reliability. Um, but Renault are going in the right direction. Great team, and uh, yeah, it'll be a great battle next year uh, with Force India
0: and Signs as well as you mentioned. Great year for oh, him, yeah. and again, you know he could be up there in, in sixth place easily. He could be up there in fifth or fourth you can really make the case for that, you know, because he, he's had a great year, both with Toro and Renault. He made the transition look easy, really. He seemed to tell yeah. with that Renault team from the off. I think he really benefited from being in a proper team, not just, you know, a junior team.
1: Yeah, I think um, a lot of people can overlook how easy it is, or how difficult it is, sorry, to transition from, a tw- a, a, you know, two teams. Um I think it's much harder than than Ocon. Or sorry, than science made it look. And it was almost as if he'd driven that car for many years. He'd driven the Renault for many years, and he didn't. He didn't have any practice. He just went to the next Grand Prix, and he was in the new car, and he was ready to go, and very impressive. It proves how eager he is to, you know, get his way up the grid and show what he's made of. He clearly is an exceptionally talented driver, and, and like you've mentioned, and uh, I'm sure we'll keep repeating this that any of these drivers in the top 10, you could make an argument for any of them being the best driver this year because they really have performed so well. And, uh, yeah, I think Science obviously, uh, he just gets ahead of this this part of the list just because he made that transition and he led the Rosso team very well considering he's relatively inexperienced.
0: Let's talk about who we put as number one then, and that was uh, Lewis Hamilton. We're not going to make mm-hmm. any kind of bold or kind of... Uh massive you know kind of uh, change to that just to to kind of spice it up a bit you know because i think it's fair to say that hamilton was the best driver this year um the class of the field you know he made very very few mistakes you look at monaco qualifying um as probably one of the only ones mexico uh, you know was not his fault really uh, brazil of course the qualifying crash but i guess that was after he sealed the championship uh, drove brilliantly to finish fourth then in the race um, and just a really, really great year he played the numbers game when he had to he pushed, uh, he dominated races when he had to, so a real great year for him, the was second uh, again, really good year for him, but quite a few mistakes, um, certainly early on he needs to kind of uh, rein in a, a little bit, but then again, he, I think he knows what he's doing and he doesn't need advice from me um, <laughs> Really, because you know, as uh, I'm, I'm sure, we have gone to win many, many championships, but he will mature just like Hamilton did. You know, uh, I guess there are kind of similarities between Hamilton of say 2007, 2008, the Verstappen of now, um, and it's pretty frightening to believe that what Verstappen's only 20 years old this year, because uh, in the second half of the year he was uh, arguably the best driver. If we're looking, uh, he was right on par with Hamilton for sure. I think you know Hamilton and Verstappen were the two best drivers. Across the whole season, uh, Vettel misses out on a place in the top two. He's third for us just because we felt that you know we kind of named the mistakes earlier on. Uh, he wasn't quite worthy to be in that kind of mix for the top you know spot just because he had quite a few mistakes uh, and kind of let his kind of temperament get the better of him. If we judge it on the kind of first what six races, uh, then I'd probably put him as the number one. He started the season off brilliantly. Uh, but unfortunately, the uh, kind of various events uh, unfolded after that. We put Ricardo fourth, not quite as good as 2016 when he could argue that he was the driver of the season that year. This year, not so much. Although he finished ahead of Verstappen in the championship, the kind of true picture was a little more closer and uh, arguably Verstappen, you know, was was quite a bit ahead of Ricardo, especially in qualifying. So work to do for Ricardo, but still an exceptional year. Great results winning Baku as well. Although, as we mentioned. Not the most deserved, but, uh, kind of compared to Savor to win in Malaysia or his truly dominant display in Mexico. And then in fifth, we had Fernando Alonso, who weathered the misery of the McLaren Honda relationship and drove brilliantly all year. But I think ultimately, Tom, the best job he did was talking himself up really, <laughs> um, making sure that he convinced everyone else that he was doing a great job in what was an awful car. He uh, multiple times said, We well, you know we have the best chassis on the grid. Um, I Drove the qualifying lap of my life. I'm the best driver on the grid. You know He, he really uh, bigged himself up. And uh, that's just the kind of charm, I think, of, of Fernando Alonso. And, and that's why he's worthy of a place on the, in our top five. Even though he finished down in 15th in the Drivers' Championship.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, a fantastic driver. You see the quality oozing out of his performances. He's just... I mean, I think if I had to show any period of this season, I would show... Mexico where he was fighting against Hamilton and bearing in mind the differences in pace of their car and he was able to put up such a great fight and it just proves how great this guy really is. Like you said arguably the most uh, or the best politician out there on the grid Uh, he knows how to talk the talk Uh, he doesn't make the best decisions clearly I think he would have a lot more than two championships in his bag or on his belt if he knew what the right decisions were to make but like you say he knows how to talk he plays the mind games he he's a great talker and um honestly i just i think f1 will be whenever he leaves you know will be such a worse place without him and uh, the same can be said obviously with Massa leaving too but just uh, to go back to the top driver in our list hamilton like i said earlier before i'm not his biggest fan i don't think he's as good as everybody else says he is but he was easily the best driver this year no question right and he is one of the best drivers who's ever been in a Formula 1 car there's no question um this year he didn't make them silly mistakes that he sometimes makes and I know people are going to have a go at me for this so please I encourage you my twitter is at tomf7 please tell me what you think okay we all have our opinions so you know maybe take that into consideration before you send the tweets but whatever Um, he does and he has before made some silly mistakes he has had luck against him as well but sometimes he just doesn't make the right decisions but this year i can't really fault him apart from mexico i can't fault him i really can't and you know that's what winning a championship's all about it's not about being the fastest guy it's about being the most consistent there is it doesn't matter um, whether you win more races than somebody else that doesn't matter Hamilton did win more races, he did, he was the fastest throughout the year, Uh, so often that leads to winning the championship, but it doesn't have to, and uh, I'm impressed when I see consistency, and that's what I see with Hamilton this year, and and he also has the speed to go with it, so very dangerous combination, and you know, he's probably the favourite going into next year for another championship, and uh, although he says he's not bothered about you know catching Schumacher's records, there is a very good opportunity that he can do that, only three away in terms of titles and um, he's got more than three years left in F1 if he chooses to
0: yeah for sure he's going to be going after that record uh, I think no matter what he says um, but yeah as we mentioned earlier on you know Hamilton Vettel both on four championships each let's see what happens in 2018 and uh, on that topic obviously we're not going to talk massively in depth we've got uh, plenty of videos coming in the new year about that um, so we're just going to have a, a very quick uh, kind of thought on 2018 and kind of what you want to see in uh
1: in 2018 Tom so I think 2017 has been such a great year to build on we will quickly mention how you know I think me and Josh feel very positively about Liberty Media and what they've done to the sport obviously there's some you know still some issues that need to be fixed out uh, fixed up such as you know the dirty air and uh, maybe improving certain uh, philosophies like the halo or the engines and that but they look like they're going in the right direction And I think, you know, in in 10 years' time, I don't think we'll be having a lot of these conversations about F1. I think it'll be very fun to watch. Uh, But, yeah, going into next year, obviously, I want it to build upon this year. I I love when there's, you know, two teams or three or four teams fighting for the championship. It's not so interesting when it's just a one-car race. And um, basically, it's sort of scripted then. You know, it's Mercedes have for the last four years prior to 2017 or three years prior to 2017, you know, have basically commanded and they could have dictated how the championship would play out. But this this year they haven't been able to do that. And it's great to see a real rivalry, two cars, two great drivers. And hopefully we can add, you know, Red Bull and Renault and all the teams into the mix. But, you know, we'll see McLaren hopefully get back up there. That's really important. And also Honda to do well. And, you know, maybe Honda will you know be the the the, the, de- the devil for mclaren coming into the 2020s who knows but yeah i think i just want to see more close racing obviously as the regulations are going to stay the same pretty much that means the field will close up and um, we'll still have the slight issues with the overtaking in terms of the cars being able to follow each other but who knows that might get a little bit better and um, a little bit more consistency from the lower teams in terms of engine reliability and performances and I think we'll have a great season t- to unfold. And um, who knows, maybe maybe somebody like Bodas will win the championship or maybe one of the Red Bull dri- uh, guys will finally have an opportunity to show how good they are. But I think there's many great opportunities to come, Josh.
0: Yes, for sure. I'm, I'm anticipating a three-way fight for the championship in terms of the teams. You know, the top three teams for this year. I think we'll carry on into next year. Uh, probably a four-way fight for the driver's title, I'd probably say. Hamilton, Vettel, uh, Ricard, and Verstappen—probably the four protagonists you're looking at—and um, then hopefully we'll get McLaren as a bit of a wild card in the mix. And with Red Bull, it very much depends, I think, on their start of the season. They don't always start in the strongest way, uh, but if they can really win, I think, in those kind of first four races, uh, which they never seem to really do over the past few years, then I think they could be in with a shout, and that'd be great television to watch for, for everyone around the world. And of course, that is what we want to see, as you mentioned. Liberty Media as well done a great job this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they'll come up with next year. I think we'll see a kind of constant trickle of more kind of small changes going on next year, and the long-term vision I think is what we're all very excited about. Unfortunately, we won't see that until 2021, Um, but for the meantime, hopefully, we'll get some uh, really, really classic seasons and uh, get a nice bit of uh, rivalry going. And uh, as you mentioned, plenty of on-track racing. Uh, we're still going to struggle next year, I think, uh, but we should still have uh, a pretty mega fight. And if the field's a lot closer and the tyres are a little more degradable then uh, just maybe, we might have uh, an even better year next year.
1: Yep, definitely. I think that's, uh, that's basically a wrap, Josh. So, um, yeah, I hope everybody has enjoyed this episode of F1 Radio, our season review for 2017. Please let us know how we can improve it for next year or... You know, let us know what else we should talk about coming into the 2018 season. We obviously are about three months away from the Championship starting again, so we will have episodes in between them, likely, you know, probably at a minimum, one a month, going on about, uh, you know, our predictions of, of uh, obviously, reviewing the cars when they come out, our predictions for uh, the testing, maybe a mid-testing review, definitely a review before uh, Melbourne and after all the tests are complete and then we're back onto the uh, the train of the races and getting back into the original or usual F1 live season, nope that's not what we're doing here <laughs> the usual F1 radio uh, rigamarole that's what I'm going yeah. to say Josh, the rigmarole. so unless you have any closing comments Josh I guess we can bid everybody farewell and ha- hope they have a great Christmas and uh, New Year
0: Yes, we'll, of course we will be back in the new year with uh, a January episode, and uh, hopefully there'll be some news over the the winter for us to talk about. But you know, we'll do we'll probably mix up the content a little bit again, and uh, you know, do do some kind of throwback reviews or something, or we'll kind of talk about. Yeah, some,
1: some of you have said about us talking about F1 history a bit, so maybe we will do an episode. So please let us know specifically what history you want us to talk about, because if we end up talking about the 1976 Formula One season and none of you care then you can't yeah, say... Well, I don't think people
0: want to hear about Adrian Sittles for my One career, so <laughs> let's not leave it up to me to decide what we talk about, guys. Uh, but yeah. Exactly. But yeah, well, I think that's uh, pretty much it, so uh, thank you for all the support over the the 2017 season. Of course, uh, we started it, well, I don't know, back in... september is it? Yeah, yeah something, something, like that. something like that. And it's, uh, yeah, really great support all the way through. Uh, we've certainly uh, learned a lot, and uh, I think overall Tom just had a, a really fun time.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the viewerships are going up, especially on iTunes and uh, podcast services across the globe, so uh, thank you all for your support there, and uh, especially YouTube as well. That's a, a great place to watch if you uh, would rather uh, do that there. Um, obviously, we're going to keep going with this. Uh, for me and Josh, this is just a great conversation for us two to have and um you know even if you guys don't listen then i guess uh so be it we will keep pushing these shows forward and um yeah it's, it's just a little hobby for us and we enjoy talking about f1 and uh yeah we're always open to ideas and who knows maybe in the future maybe there'll be a third person on this show you never know so it's good to keep your eyes peeled it's good to uh you know support us if you like f1 and uh, let other people know who enjoy f1 that we're about, and you know, not, don't you don't have to tell them that we're amazing because we're not, but just uh, let them know hey, check well, out if Joe, Radio. Joe and
0: Palmer's out of a job, so you
1: know, watch this yeah. space going into an Exactly, <laughs> he, he could be the our supporting uh, character in this show. I don't know exactly what sort of analysis he'd be able to, to give us. He's a but... very good commentator, <laughs> yeah, yeah yes, yes. but anyway, yes, <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess we're going to wrap it up here so thank you very much to everybody listening um it's been great talking to you this season josh and uh, i hope you can say the same to me okay fair enough <laughs> okay. Um, so, <laughs> so on that slightly awkward send-off it's been 2017 we hope you've enjoyed the season we hope you enjoyed f1 radio and until next time it's been a pleasure to serve